Good morning. All right, well, I'm going to assume you're more friendly than that, uh, but we'll go with it. Uh, like Jesse said, my name is Jake. Uh, I am a pastor down in Cedar Rapids at Veritas Church, another church in our network, uh, and I got the privilege to share with the men here at the men's conference this past weekend. Uh, and David asked if I'd stay Sunday and, and preach as well, and I'm honored to be here. Um, Rob is uh, just a special dude, and I'm glad that he has getting some rest, and I'm, I'm happy to serve you uh, this morning. So um, it's, you guys got a pretty cool church, and this is an encouragement to be here um, this morning with you. Let's just jump right in um, with maybe a bit of a heavy question right off the bat, but does the brokenness of this world ever give you doubts? Like when you look at just how crazy and messed up and all the problems around us in our world, does it ever kind of stir up doubts in your heart and your mind of like, God, do you, do you see this? Do you see what's going on here? Um, are you aware of it? Do you care about it? Are you going to do anything about it? And when we see the brokenness, it can stir up d- doubts in our world. And when we look at our world, whether it's the craziness going on in Ukraine right now or whether it's stuff in our own community or stuff in your own family, um, you might raise the question of God, are you still working in the midst of this mess? Are you still involved? Do you, do you care? Is, is resolution really possible? And the question is um, that we're going to try to tackle this morning is can the dysfunction of this world thwart the plans of God? Now, I'm going to guess that you have the right theological answer and say, no, our God is sovereign, he's in control, he can be trusted. But maybe if we kind of have a moment of honesty, your emotional answer might be a little bit different. Your emotional answer might just be like, in the midst of all the chaos, I don't know if I'm exuding hope. It's more of despair or frustration or anger. So as we kind of get into the word today, um, I want to just tell you my goal up front. I want to encourage confidence in God despite the chaos of our world. Like, that's where I'm going. Like, at the end of this message, if you can kind of say, our God is big, he can be trusted, and I have confidence in him, that's a win. Like, that's what I want your heart to say. And if you can say it all the louder at the end of this message, that's where we're going. And we're going to be, you guys are in the book of Genesis, and David told me, he's like, you got Genesis 25, 26, and 27. So... In the next hour and a half, I'm sure we'll get through all that. Uh, I'm, I'm really going to try to stay like at 40,000 foot and like, what's the big, because you could get into the, a lot of great gold in the, these passages here and, and, and draw out some stuff, but I want to stay like 40,000 foot and say like, what's the main principle or lesson we can learn from these three chapters? And I'm not going to read all of it. I'll, I'll read some of it. Um, I just want to kind of tell you the story. Hopefully you have a better familiarity with the story of Jacob and Esau, uh, or at least the beginning part of it as we get through these texts. Um, So we're going to go there. Oh, and you're going to learn something about a sandwich. So that's always good. If you're like, oh, well, I don't know about Jacob and Esau, but I love sandwiches, then just stick with me. Uh, We'll do that as well. So uh, turn into your Bibles, because I'm not going to read all of it. I'll read some of it, but I want you to follow along the best you can. I just want to kind of tell you this story, uh, and we pick up in chapter 25 uh, in Genesis, and it starts out by telling us about Abraham's death, and then it gives us an update on his two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And if you remember, God comes to Abraham, and he's like, I have a promise that I'm going to covenant, I'm going to make with you, and through you, I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. Like, my plans are going to unfold through you, and it involved 
the multiplication of his family, but it's just him and Sarah, and he doesn't have any kids, and, and time's passing, so he takes matters into his own hands, and he takes his servant Hagar, and it's like, okay, let's just get this thing rolling, and he has a son Ishmael, uh, but then that's dysfunct- That's not God's promise there, um, and Sarah's not liking that as much as she thought she would, and there's some tensions in the home, um, and the Lord appears to Abraham. It's like, no, I'm going I'm to give you a child with Sarah, right? But Sarah's listening uh, in the tent, and she laughs. You guys remember this story? You guys have been working through Genesis? And the Lord is like, why are you laughing, right? She's like, oh, I didn't laugh. He's like, no, you laughed, right? It's going to happen, right? So he's like, this promise is coming, and sure enough, uh, she has a son, uh, Isaac. So you have Isaac and Ishmael, and we jump into this text, and we kind of get an update of Abraham's two kids and what's going on. Well, Ishmael is doing great. Um, He's having a lot of kids. In fact, he's got 12 sons. But Isaac, he's got zero. He's got no sons. And it's like, isn't he the promised one, though, that, like, you could imagine some of the tensions. Like, isn't, you know, are we supposed to turn into a a great nation? Um, But his wife, Rebecca, was, was barren. And you might think this is a big problem, especially if you're supposed to turn into a nation, like, okay, this is a threat to the promise. But it's actually very common in God's unfolding plan. Uh, Sarah was barren. Here you see uh, Rebecca's barren. The mother of Samson was barren. The mother of Samuel is barren. The mother of John the Baptist was barren. Like, this is kind of God's style or way that he works. It's just like he's showing out. Like, okay, I'm going to, like, show you that these are my plans that are unfolding. I'm going to do them in an unnatural way so you know I'm at work here. And this is kind of what's happening behind the scenes. Now, Isaac doesn't make the same mistake that his dad did and get a surrogate wife. He's like, I lived that drama. Like, I'm not doing that again, right? Like, I I I was in the middle of that. Plus, Isaac was the promised son that came later, even later years of life. So he has this faith. He's like, that's me. So instead, Isaac prays. And he prays long, and he prays hard. And eventually, he probably prays for like 20 years. Right? He gets married when he's like 40. He finally has kids when, when he's 60, and he's praying long and hard. In fact, the text kind of credits um, the, the pregnancy with Isaac's prayers. And it's like, well, is it God's plan that brought about his children, or is it Isaac's prayers? And you're like, you bet it is, right? Yes. And he's called, to, he's called to pray, and Isaac prays passionately, and Rebecca gets pregnant, and it is a rough pregnancy. It is a rough pregnancy. In fact, I'll read a section to you in 25, um, starting in verse 22. It says, the children, so it's twins, spoiler alert, it's the children struggled together within her. Literally, they smashed against each other. Like, this was the kind of pregnancy she was having. And she said, if it is thus... Why is this happening to me? Like, if this is the plan of God, why is it so painful? Right? Literally, it says, why must I live? Like, like this is torment. This is, this is a rough pregnancy. And this pregnancy is part of the promise or plan of God. And she's kind of making these conclusions. Like, if this is the plan of God, why is it so painful? And a principle we can see here is that God's unfolding plan doesn't mean your comfort. In fact, it often means your discomfort. But he's calling you into deeper waters. And then they get this oracle. So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. 
So they get this oracle, and he's saying, listen, there's more going on in your belly than just two kids. It is a representation of like two peoples that are going to be in strife with one another. And it also states that the older will serve the younger. So like before anything happens, and despite of all the drama around it, it's like God has a plan. Like he's in this, and his plan is unfolding. And you get this older serving the younger is also part of God's style. Like it's, it's common that he just... Just like uh, barren women, it's like I'm stepping out of the normal ways and I'm doing it different so that you know I'm doing it. So, so it's evident, like this is the kind of a, a reversal of what you're used to. I'm turning things upside down. And there's a theme of the younger serving the older throughout Scripture. Like even in Genesis, you got uh, Abel over Cain, you got Isaac over Ishmael. You get Jacob over Esau here. You get Joseph over his brothers. Eventually down the road, you get David over his brothers. Like he's saying, there's a, there's a reordering by grace, and it's, it's God saying, I'm in charge, and I'm doing something, and it's different than the way you would do it, but I want you to know that I'm up to something, and this is one of the ways that he does that. So Rebecca gave birth to twins, Jacob and Esau, and Esau comes out first, but Jacob comes out gripping the heel of Esau. So they've been tussling the whole time, and they're like, they're like tussling on the way out. Um, and it, it, uh, this, the text tells us a little bit about their personalities right away in the birth story, that Esau is kind of this uh, rugged outdoorsman, um, kind of a hairy kid, and Jacob's kind of this uh, uh, homebody mama's boy. Uh, and, and he even kind of talks about there's, the parents have favorites, so Isaac really likes Esau, but Rebekah really likes Jacob. Uh, now Jacob's name in Hebrew sounds like heel, um, but, but it was meant uh, to, uh, the word kind of meant like to protect at the rear of an army, like the heel. Uh, and it was a positive term. It wasn't a negative term. But Jacob's character changed that. So that the word for, for Jacob kind of meant, uh, became known to be like subplanter. Like he's going to circumvent the, the circumstances. He's going to be a little bit of a trickster. And there's a story in here that kind of uh, where his, the, the meaning of his name began to take on more of a negative connotation. So this is still in chapter 25, starting in verse 29. Here's what happens. You're probably familiar with this. It said, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Now, Edom just means red. I don't know if that's because um, the stew was red, uh, he was tired and exhausted and kind of red in the face, or he had red hair. Like, we don't know, but he kind of got this nickname red, right? Edom. And these are the Edomites that come later. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. So he's kind of crafty, working the situation. You're tired. You want some food? Let's make a deal. Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he's like, you're hungry. I want the birthright. I'll give you a stew. You give me the birthright. Esau's like, sounds like a good deal to me. Makes the deal, right? So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. So the deal was just for the stew, but Jacob's like, I'm getting a birthright. Let's throw in some complimentary bread. Let's feed you right. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. 
Thus Esau, Esau despised his birthright. Now a birthright um, is, it, it goes to the oldest and it's a double portion. So in their case, there's two kids, so the inheritance would be divided three ways. And the youngest would get one-third and the oldest would get two-thirds. But it's not just about an inheritance, but about a promise. Like, who, through who is God's plan going to continue to unfold? And Esau's saying, he's thinking, I'm about to die. Now, either that's major hyperbole, and he's just kind of whining, or he really thinks he's going to die. And if he really thinks he's going to die, he's not trusting in the promise, because that would kind of ruin the promise if, the, if you're supposed to become a great nation. So he kind of has no confidence in the promise. In fact, the, the section ends with uh, saying that Esau despised his birthright. So this is kind of the, the picture it's painting of Esau, that he despised his birthright. It can seem like another threat to the promise. I mean, the one that it should go to doesn't even care about it. And then chapter 25 ends with five verbs describing Esau. He ate, he drank, he got up, he left, and he despised. And that kind of summed up the choices Esau's making in his life. He's kind of rash. Um, self-centered in the moment, and Esau's not making good decisions. In fact, he goes on and marries a, a couple of pagan Hittite women, and the text says that these, these women made uh, life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So, so you read this story, and you think, this is the family that you're working through? Like, you, you have this strained relationship between Ishmael and Isaac. Like, they don't even see each other. They're just, he was cast out. And then um, Isaac and, and Rebekah show favorites. Uh, Esau's just this brash, you know, fool. Jacob is, is a deceiver, mama's boy. And you have these, now these in-law strife between, you know, mother-in-law and, and, and daughter-in-law. It's like, this, this is who you're working through? And there seems like this promise of prosperity is threatened. Like, how are you going to work through this dysfunctional family? Well, now jump over to chapter 27 because the drama increases. Like, what? It gets better? So here's what happens. Isaac wanted to give his blessing to Esau. Now, Isaac lives for like a decade after Joseph uh, gets sold into slavery um, and you're, if you're new to Genesis, you're like, wait, Joseph, who getting sold into slavery? I didn't mean to spoil it. Uh, stay in the series. You'll hear about that or go home to Disney Plus and watch Prince of Egypt. Um, but, but Isaac, he wants to kind of get his affairs in order now because um, he's, he's losing his sight. He's getting old. Maybe he thinks the end is near, but he lives a lot longer than anticipated. So he wants to uh, give Esau the blessing now. Well, here's what goes down. This is in verse chapter 27. I'll try to read a lot of it. Um, we'll see how far we make it. Okay, we'll see how far I make it. All right. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may be blessed, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. 
Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I might prepare for them a delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel, uh, it's just, it's just details, right? It's, it's, uh, he says, perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So it's really clear that, Re- you know, Jacob's a deceiver, like we saw that with the soup story, but Rebecca seems to be pulling the strings. Like mom has stepped in and she's going to manipulate the situation because she likes Jacob. That's her son. Or is it tied to the promise that happened beforehand? We don't know. But it doesn't seem like above par, whatever's happening here. Um, it's, it's pretty manipulative. So when he went, he took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. So she made him hairier with, with goat skin stuff. And she put the delicious food, the bread, which she had prepared into her hand, into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, my father. And he said, I am, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Your firstborn, or <clears throat> I am Esau. You know, I don't know. Like, he's trying to like mask it, and he says, "I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me." But Isaac said to his son, "How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son?" He answered, "Because the Lord your God granted me success." Liar, right? Then Isaac, you were thinking it. You can say it. We can talk, right? Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son or not. So he's, he's suspicious. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him. Now you're, it feels like, are you dumb, Isaac? Like, we're all thinking that, right? Like, are you, is this really getting tricked by this? But, but this is the story, right? And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am, liar. Then he said, bring it, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. He came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, and blessed him and said, this is the blessing, see, the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? 
And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. And you think like, okay, this isn't a tough problem to solve, right? Just come, bring him back in. There was a mistake. You tricked me. Let's, let's fix this. But he seems like bound to it. And part of like in the narrative of the story, it's like this is... This was what was prophesied. Like, this is going to happen. Like, Jacob, the younger, is going to rule over the younger. Or or the younger is going to rule over the older. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, like that deceiver? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers, and I have given him for servants, and with the grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she went and called Jacob, uh, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done for him. I don't know if you're going to forget this. Just saying, right? Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I bereft of, of you both in one day? Why should I lose you both? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these one of the women of the land, what good will be my life to me? So basically, uh, Rebecca sends Jacob away, saying, I don't want him to marry another Hittite woman. Go find a, a different wife. Um, and here's um, another threat to the promise. Another threat to the promise. Abraham's family is going to become a great nation. He only has two grandsons, and they don't like each other, and one of them wants to kill the other. It's not looking good. It's not looking good. Now, you said we were going to learn something about a sandwich. And I know a lot of you have just been tuning out, like, when's the sandwich part coming, all right? So let me give you some sandwich trivia and stay with me because it does apply uh, to what we're, where we're going here. If I put a piece of ham between two pieces of bread, what kind of sandwich is it? Ham sandwich. Okay. You didn't seem confident. Let me give you another one. If I put a piece of turkey between two pieces of bread, what kind of sandwich is it? Sandwich, yes. Confidence. Like, I know this. One more. Right? If I put some chicken salad, I'm going to try a curveball, in between two croissants, what kind of sandwich is that? 
It's a chicken salad sandwich, right? It's like, it's what's in the middle that gives it meaning. Like, you don't, def- you don't define a sandwich by the bread, right? It's what's in the middle that defines the sandwich. And, and here we have what we call a hermeneutical sandwich. Uh, chapter 26 is intentionally in the middle of the story of Jacob and Esau. And it can seem like this odd disruption, but there's meaning behind chapter 26 in the middle of 25 and 27. And it's supposed to give us meaning or help us understand uh, what's happening in verse or chapter 25 and 26. It's a literary way of giving meaning to the story of Jacob and Esau. So let me tell you what is happening in chapter 26. There's a famine in the land. So it's, it's kind of a disruption. You had like, he steals his birthright. Then you have just chapter 26 that we're going to look at. And then I'm back to the story of Jacob and Esau and kind of how he loses his blessing. Okay, so that's the bread. What, what's in the middle that defines the sandwich or gives this story meaning? Well, in chapter 26... There's a famine in the land, which is another threat to the promise. Like, are all these people going to die? Well, the Lord appears to Isaac. The Lord appears to Isaac twice in one chapter. So you gotta, that's, that's a big deal. Like, there's a repetitive thing here that, that's making a point. So the Lord appears to Isaac, uh, and he says, Do not go to Egypt. I will be with you. And he restates the promise. This is 26, verse 4. 26, verse 4. He says this. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to you, your offspring, all the lands, and in your offsprings all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Like this problem, promise he made to Abraham, he's repeating it again to Isaac. And he's like, don't leave, don't flee to Egypt. You stay here, I got you. I'll look after you, I'll take care of you. So Isaac settles in the land, and it's a land with the Philistines. So if you remember like David and Goliath, Goliath, the Philistines. So there's some, some tension down the road with here. So um, he's staying in the midst of the Philistines. And pretty soon, um, the men start asking about Rebecca, his wife, because she's a looker. And they're like, well, how do you know that? The text says it, okay? Uh, and it's true because it's in the Bible. So she was a good-looking lady. Uh, and the other men start asking about this. Well, Isaac is scared that they're going to kill me to take my wife. So he says, oh, she's just my sister. Now, here's the crazy thing. Uh, his dad did the same thing. Abraham does the same thing. So Sarah, she was a looker. There's good genes, right? It says that too. And, and he goes into the same land, and, and he's in the same situation. They're going to kill me to take my wife, so I'll just tell them that she's my sister. Well, the, it gets even crazier um, because it's the same place uh, and it's, it's both Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And you're like, is it the same dude? Like, probably not. Abimelech was like a generic name for a king of the Philistines, just like Pharaoh is a, is a generic name for, for rulers of Egypt. Most likely, it's probably his son. So you get in this situation where it's like the irony of like, what's with you people? Like, your dad tried to take my mom, and now you're trying to take my wife. What's wrong with you people? And the Abimelech could be like, what's wrong with you people? You keep saying your wife is your sister. Like, this is messed up. Like, you got this 
kind of weird, you know, dynamic happening here. But uh, in Abraham's situation, um, when uh, Abimelech actually took Sarah into his quarters, but the Lord showed up to Abimelech in a dream and says, if you touch that woman, you're a dead man. So, he, I mean, that's a freaky dream, right? So he's like, wakes up and is like, I got to clean this up. Like, what did you do to me? In this situation, it's not a dream, but God is still involved in the details. And, and Abimelech happened to be looking out his window and he saw Isaac and Rebekah laughing, or your translation may say caressing. Uh, now, the word means like uh, playful, joking, flirting. Like that's what they were doing. So Abimelech looks out his window, and he sees Isaac and Rebekah flirting, and he's like, that ain't your sister. Right? <laughs> like if that's your sister, we got problems, right? Like this, this is not your sister. Um, and he's like, what are you doing to me? Like, why would you lie to me and kind of bring this shame upon me? Um, so, so God is protecting there. But there's all kinds of deception happen here. Like um, Abraham lies about Sarah being his wife. Isaac, about his sister. Isaac lies about Rebecca. Um, uh, Rebecca lies about Jacob being Esau. You know, Jacob tricks Isaac about being Esau, like all kinds of deception, and, and you'll get to it eventually as you get through Genesis, but, but coming up, uh, it's coming back to Jacob, because he thinks he's marrying Rachel, and he wakes up next to Leah, so it's like, yeah, the deceiver's about to get deceived, but in this situation, God is protecting them, he's protecting them, Isaac becomes a very successful farmer and herdsman, he becomes very wealthy, he multiplies, his family grows, and Abimelech comes to him and says, you need to go away from us. Because you're becoming too mighty. You're too big. You're going to overtake us. So, so go away. So he sort of goes away. He doesn't go away that far. Um, and then we get to some well drama. And it's like, why are you talking about wells in the story? Well, he's doing it because he's making a point. Remember, this is the middle of the sandwich that gives meaning. And he starts talking about this, this well conflict. So as he moves out, he goes into a land that his father Abraham had been in before. And Abraham dug these wells. But when he left, the Philistines filled them back in. So they're like, all right, we've got to live here. Let's redig these wells for my father. So he redigs these wells. And he also goes on to dig some other wells. But when he does, he has conflict with the herdsmen there. They're like, hey, this is our water. And they kind of push him off it. So he digs one well. And then they kind of have this conflict. So he's like, all right, I'll go dig another well. He has more conflict. He's like, no, this is our water. So he's like, fine, I'll go dig another well. And just the fact that he's always finding water is another sign of God was with him and blessing him. So he goes and builds, digs another well. And then there's no conflict. But he names all the wells. And the names have meanings. And it's in chapter 26 to help us understand the point that he's making. So the first well that he digs, he names it a word that means dispute or contention because there was a dispute about it. The second well, he names a word that means hostility because it got even worse. The conflict arose. And the third well, he names a, a word that means room or space to live among each other because at that point, they didn't bother him anymore. It's like, okay, we can live amongst each other. And the names of the wells kind of tell us the arc of the story of Jacob and Esau. Like at first, there's, there's a dispute. There's confrontation. But that dispute escalates to hostility where Jacob is fleeing for his life. But what's about to come, this is a foreshadow of 
reconciliation between Jacob and Esau, where now there's room for us to live among each other. We can be together again. It's also a foreshadowing or a picture of the gospel. Because back in Genesis 3, there's a dispute. There's a, there's a confrontation between a holy God and a rebellious people. And that gets escalated to hostility where, where Adam and Eve are, are kicked out of the garden. Like, we can't be with this holy God. But there's another well that speaks of reconciliation. That there will be room for us to live together again. It's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's giving meaning to this story of Jacob and Esau that we see. So right after this well drama, the Lord appears to Isaac again and he repeats the promise. This is verse um, 24 in chapter 26. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for your servant Abraham's sake. Again, like twice in one chapter, God is showing up to him and reinstating this promise. Like he's, he's got, I'm with you. I got you. This, I'm, I'm here. Don't fear. And then Abimelech, Abimelech comes to Isaac and is like, look, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Let's make a treaty, right? I don't want you coming to hurt me. You, you're being blessed by God. You're growing. You're a threat. But remember, I didn't, I didn't take your wife, so let's just make a treaty. And they make a, make a treaty. And that same day, Isaac's servants dig another well. I mean, there, there's a message behind these wells. There's a reason they're telling us this in the story. And they found water. And this time, Isaac names the well a word that means oath or promise. Now, on one level, you could say, well, he just made an oath with Abimelech, and that's why he named that well that. But on a whole other level of this story of God and his redemption, this chapter has been about God repeating his promise over and over again. And he's showing that God keeps his promises. I'm with you. I got you. you. You don't have to be afraid, which is really interesting in the context of the whole book of Genesis because what happened at the punishment of Adam and Eve, they were separated from God. And you think, okay, we're, we're away from God. We, we have this broken relationship. But ever since then, especially throughout the book of Genesis, it's God, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm still here. You get into Joseph's life and he's sold into prison. What do you get? God's with him. God's with him. God's with him. Now, guys, when we look at this story, Nobody looks good in this story, except God. I mean, nobody looks good in this story except God. And you could read this story and think, well, Isaac and Rebecca certainly aren't parents of the year, right? I mean, showing favoritism, deception. You could look at their marriage and be like, well, I'm glad the spark's still alive when they're flirting, but you're also lying to each other. You look at Esau and just like, you're just a fool. You look at Jacob and you're just like, you're a conniving trickster. Like nobody looks good in this story except God. But when you look at the characters and you think, well, nobody looks good in this story, I could say to you, that's just the bread. That's just the bread. And that doesn't define the sandwich. You find the meat in chapter 26. And a better way to read this story is to see how faithful God is. Oh, you show up at hard times and you reaffirm your promise. 
You, you dig, you know, you, your people find water when they dig. Like even when people are like crowding in on you, threatening to take your wife, you intervene and you protect your people. In chapter 26, he shows up twice and repeats his promise. Do not be afraid, I am with you. This is a God is faithful sandwich. This is a God keeps his promises sandwich. This is a despite all the junk in this world, God has got this sandwich. Like that's what we have to understand when we look at this. Guys, listen, God keeps his promises and our sin and dysfunction can't stop the plans of God. Now, what's our takeaway? Might be like, what are we supposed to do? Well, it's like, well, the story's not about you. <laughs> it's about God. You know, you and I, we're, we're the dysfunctional characters. But in this story, it's meant to teach us that God is faithful. And he can be trusted. And even when it seems like everything around us is just crazy, falling apart, God is at work. So what are we supposed to do? Have confidence in God especially when everything's crazy. He's still on his throne. He's still at work. Have confidence in God. Don't just have confidence in God. Express confidence in God. Like that's what we do when we gather as a church and we sing these songs. We're saying, you're awesome. I trust you. You're amazing. Like we express our confidence in God. And guys, sometimes, let's be honest, we let the bread define the sandwich. We let the bread define the sandwich. All we see are the problems and the dysfunction and the sin and the junk. But what we need to see is God's faithfulness in the middle of it all. Like he's working all things to good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. His plans are unfolding. He does keep his promises. And if you look at the story of Jacob and Esau and all you see is a conniving youngster and an older brother who's a brute and a fool, and a mom and dad who show favoritism, and a bunch of people who lie to each other. Well, then maybe you look at our world today, and all you see is war, and racism, and sexism, and injustice, and sin. And what we're supposed to see in this story is God is working despite all the sin, and none of that sin can thwart his plans, and his promises are unfolding. And who we're called to be in this world are people who, despite all the junk and sin in this world, we see a God who is at work. And he's working all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And we can trust him. And we are called to have confidence in him. And that confidence brings about a peace. So if we have that peace and that confidence... And maybe others would see it in us. When a world's just in chaos, if they look at you and you're like, you got something different. Like everything is just shook up, but you're steady. You're at peace. You still have a joy. And if they see that in us, maybe like Abimelech, we'd come to us and want to get in on it. So, so church, let me leave you with a bit of a benediction May you realize how big and awesome and powerful our God is. And may you live with a confidence that God keeps his promises and his plans, will, he'll see it through no matter how crazy or dysfunctional this world see, seems. And may the peace that this good news brings be evident in you 
to all those around you. And from this day forth, every time you eat a sandwich, I hope you think of the faithfulness of God. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we can say that because you first loved us. And your love never stops. And when we're in the midst of trials and storms and dysfunctions and problems, you are still in control, and you are working all things together for good. You will make all things new, and I pray that you give us a confidence, a peace that we can trust in you and your sovereignty. And may that confidence be evident in our worship and evident in how we live our everyday lives. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond.